0: If I could help give you recommendations throughout the process of all the things that you're going to need or all the parties that you're going to need to engage with in order to close the deal, it offers some level of verification and assurity that these people have done it before and that these are not people that you've just met or just got referred to by someone else. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane.
1: My great to listeners, if you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange. Because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes, and you could even exchange into a replacement property, that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend, Ray Druitt, is a managing director with Bangurter Financial Services, and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801-312-9482. Or you may visit his website at 1031.bangertorfinancial.com/slash. 1031 guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today, we're going to be talking to a topic that uh, if you ever purchased a home or if you ever purchased a property or any real asset, you'll probably have dealt with someone like my guest. His name is Dorian Lamb. We're actually re-recording it uh, because the audio quality that we had on the previous one, it wasn't it wasn't to my satisfaction. So Dorian has been kind enough to come back again and we're gonna repeat the entire conversation, but this time is gonna be better because you don't know what the first time was. Uh with that said, thank uh, Dorian, um welcome to the show and thank you for agreeing to
0: re-record it. Nope, no problem. I look forward to this. And and you know the saying, socket, it's so nice we do it twice. That's true. And I know this is
1: the third, uh, this is the third attempt. So hopefully this one this one gets better than that. Third time's the charm, as you just reminded me uh, before we went on here. So Dorian, uh, and I know we've we've gone to some of that code, some of these questions before. But before we go deeper into your own experience, uh, especially your work and your other things, let's talk about you first, right? Um, let's talk about your your life journey. Let's talk about how you got to do what you got to do, or even before that, let's understand what migrate to wealth means for you.
0: Yeah, um, What do you want me to start, Socket, on that? That's, uh, that's a lot to cover. But how about we start with just my personal story in terms of my background. So I'm uh, born and raised in, in New York. I I was trained or I am trained as a management consultant, which is what I did in a prior life, but what I did prior to being an owner of Italian insurance company. And I was able to... Embark on a journey of, of you know, in essence, solving problems, which is something we spoke about on our previous yeah. recording. And just from having that mindset and that approach through the years, had an opportunity to get into an ownership position in a title insurance company and then learn the external client that we serve and through interest also had the ability to participate with our clients. So I am now an active real estate investor. Naturally, we're closing deals for home buyers, commercial investors, commercial owners. And we've been exposed and have had the opportunity to network with people who are closing deals and have a proven track record. So through the years of ownership, this the company was formed in 2008. We've had the opportunity to befriend and learn from those who are, you know, professionals at what they do, and we've had the opportunity to invest in them. And you know, now we have started, you know, participating in our own deals. Love that, love that,
1: Dorian. So before we even go professional, we're going to go personal. So um, you're a fellow management consultant because that's where I was. That's how I started my life being a consultant. And, yeah. yeah. As a consultant, you basically. You used a word, which is problem solver. That's really who you do, what you are as a management consultant, right? As any kind of a consultant, you're trying to understand, put yourself in somebody else's shoe, understand their issues, and try to see where you can add value, right? That's really what you're trained as a consultant to do. And as a management right. consultant, it's just uh, the different levels of consulting. You can have a marketing consultant. You can have, I shouldn't say level, different flavors of consulting. Um, and you can also have a business consulting. Uh, so management consultants really helps people run their business better solve their problem expansion uh, whatever whatever they are so uh, just for just to make sure my uh, my listeners understand what exactly is a management consultant that, that was a term that was not familiar to them so let's go back in time though why did you choose to become a management consultant um, because that's not a career that a lot of uh, people grow up to be right um, they may want to work at a fortune 500 company or what whatever what whatever the the uh, the longing could be what got you to become like a problem solver?
0: That that's an interesting question, and you know what? And I'm going to date myself by answering you here, but what what I found as an opportunity, you know, as I as I approached or finished college, as far as what I could do as a profession, was the simple logic of. And this was the time where especially PCs were becoming very prominent in businesses and companies. Yeah. And there was a, a big drive towards figuring out how to use networks and PCs and how to connect it all and how to become more efficient um, across the you know Fortune 200, yeah. 500, 500 companies. So it really started with a simple thesis of, Every company is going to need computers or PCs, so they're going to need to learn how to use it in some way, shape, or form, or they're going to learn or need uh, or have a need to integrate it into their operations. So that that was actually the beginning of uh, I was in business school at NYU, and there was an actual study or major in, in, in information systems and management. So it was double major. It made sense to do that, and in essence, you know, chart path towards management consultant and or management consulting and you know looking back at it 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 it's actually like you said all about problem solving management consulting and you know i found out later on that the skills that i learned being trained as a management consultant was something I could apply to what i was doing in my current profession and, and then also now realizing that it can be applied to life because uh, right. you are learning things like communication and on um, learning how to act as a liaison between many different business owners and you know programmers and so on and so forth, all the different types of skill sets and and being able to have a through line between it all and accomplish a, a, a goal.
1: I'm sorry, um, I had to sneeze there, so I had to turn my mic off. So editor just make sure when you edit it you take that you take that uh piece out uh so uh, thank you dorian for that i really loved it i i, co- I couldn't agree more with you i think this see it's are you can't be successful as a consultant if problems if you hate problem solving you just can't because that's what that's what you're embarking upon right so uh, now let's talk this let's talk about the next journey there for you you said that in 2008 you uh you had a chance, and if I heard it wrong, you just correct me. In 2008, you uh, joined or you had, an, you had an opportunity to join the, as an ownership position in a title company. Did I, did I hear you correctly?
0: So you heard, you heard me right, but it does give me an opportunity to add more context to the story. Yeah. Cornerstone, the company that I, I now am a part owner in, was formed in 2008. I had the opportunity to join as a partner in 2018. So, it. um, it's been, uh, you know, now almost six years, we're actually in six years, uh, it's year six, uh, where, where, uh, I'm a partner in the company. Got
1: it. Got it. Got it. So, and then you didn't, when did you join them? Did you leave in 2008 when it started, um, to be part of that company or you joined at a later stage?
0: I joined at a later stage. So I was part of other companies being, uh, for the most part. Rolled up and sold into bigger publicly traded companies, and I had an opportunity to meet the Cornerstone guys, and we had ambitions that matched up and created synergies to help grow the platform. All so right. I joined in 2018. Love that,
1: love that, man. So uh, why them? Why why title company? Title. And we'll talk about what really title is, but title is not the processing title or our researching title. The title paperwork. It's not the sexiest aspect of the real estate. It's not even at the forefront. It's usually an afterthought. Uh, that oh, I've found the perfect deal. I've found the perfect investors. Now let me go find a title company, right? So what about the title company? And I'm not. I'm not saying that's true. in what I'm saying is that's how I used to look at the title company, until I actually understand the value that the title company can add in transaction, right? It was more of oh, the lender is forcing me to use a title company. And we'll talk more details on that as well, that what exactly do the title company do and why are they very important in the transaction? Well, help me understand from your perspective and you coming in, unless you had a different perspective coming in than, than what I or probably say majority of the people may have.
0: No, I mean, as you can imagine, I've been exposed to many different types of title companies, uh, underwriters, agents, and had a good idea of what really made a title company good at what it did or what it was supposed to do. When, when I had an opportunity to examine cornerstone, you know, I'll cut to the chase on this. I won't get too long winded, but you know, th- they focus on the most important yeah. aspect of what we do, which is closing the transaction. There's a saying, which is, you know, what good is a deal of the, de- what good is a deal if it doesn't close, yeah. but it's very true. Um, the, all the work that goes into finding a deal, putting a deal together, the negotiation that goes on between buyer and seller, pretend, potentially buyer and bank, um, there's a lot that goes into it. And if the deal falls apart at the end and there's something that the title company can do to prevent that, that should be its core mission. That should be its North Star. And the North Star Cornerstone was such as that, which is... What do we do? How do we help close the deal? Many title companies that I have seen, they play somewhat of a hall monitor role, which is they'll put up a sign. It's a metaphorical sign, but it'll, in essence, be an email or whichever it is of the 15 things that you need to get a title company in order for a deal to close. And generally, that's that's not helpful, right? It's It's more... Yeah here are the things that we need or these are the things that we need to get done in order to close your transaction. Not so much, hey, Socket, here's a list of 15 things that you or your attorney must get us. Let us know when you have it. It's more of here are the list of 15 things that we need to get through. We're working on these five. These five, the seller will need to get us. These five, you can get us. They're your organizational docs and so forth. But Cornerstone focus was on that and it was not on all the other things that title has become known as which we can get into later i love that
1: right i think it's really about the the experience because most people unless you're actively buying real estate your chances are you're only buying your personal residences and maybe a few things from there so your interaction with that title company is very transactional however which i love what you said you said is you, even for those, and I'm assuming it's true for all types of buyers, investors, are are um, are people who are not investors who want interact with you. Is the experience they have with you is what you value most, right? Kind of like make a, a part, as part of the closing. Of course, you're they're hiring you to close the deal, and uh, you'll do your best in working with them, partnering with them to close it. But it's very important also to not become a paper pusher. You're adding more value on top of it by by, by engaging in the process that can remove. One of the biggest problems for a uh, transaction closing which is the amount of work that needs to be done from the buyer's side right because they're they're drawn in multiple places at that point is that is that true dorian
0: that's right and and you know i'd like to pick up on something that you mentioned also in the original question which is that number one title insurance is i would argue the most unknown aspect that most people who own real estate, or to yeah. some extent, everyone who owns real estate has actually purchased. So there is a big gap in the knowledge of the role that title insurance companies play. Mm-hmm. They don't just provide title insurance. It's what title insurance companies do as well. They act the settlement, they help you close, they help coordinate a closing, so on and so forth. And mm-hmm. many people You had mentioned either let the lender direct or even more so let the attorney direct. And we could talk about how there is deficiencies in going about it that way. But what I would like to pull out of it is that many people such as yourself, especially investors, should have their own relationships with their title companies because there's a way you can use title companies to help with items like due diligence or in essence can be part of your ecosystem of advisors to get you through deals. It is in line with the attorney, the accountant, your engineer, your environmental company. Many people don't know that. And it it is an afterthought because generally we are introduced to either the buyer or borrower or both at the end of the process, not at the beginning. And that's generally too late for somebody to have an opportunity to not only figure out who it is they're working with, but more importantly, figure out how they can leverage that resource. I
1: I completely agree, man. And of course, I have my own horror stories. I'm sure you have seen way more horror stories than I have. Uh, Hopefully, you're not part of uh, most of them. Before we go deeper, Dorian, let's let's actually talk about the title itself, right? What is what what, do, what does your firm do? So, if I were to engage with you today, what does the inner working of the process looks like? What are the elements? Help us walk through a very very high level flow diagram, information flow, right? So, from step A to step Z, and doesn't have to be too detailed. Of course, you can abstract to the level do you think is the right level. I just want to make sure people understand because. Uh, Here's the context of that question. I think a lot of folks confuse title insurance with the title company, with a closing agent, with a, settling attorney, with a settlement attorney. There's so many terms that are used. And yes, you, I think as you said, the title company can be a lot of those, depending upon how they're built. But they could be also different entities. So let's talk about that process a little bit and then see which role does a pure title company play. And then as you have add-ons of an attorney, of something else that we need to do, what does that mean? Or does... Yeah, yeah. I I think I don't want to go too deep into the question itself and take 20 minutes to explain the question. It's really, what does a title company do when you're in a transaction,
0: be it a homeowner or be it an investor? So I could speak to the areas in which we participate. Uh, Mainly, we're based in New York, so... Many states are different, but in New York, for example, a title company should be everything that you mentioned. It should run a title search. It should help you figure out how to get clean and clear title. What that means is how to make sure that ownership is passed properly, how to make sure that any prior debt is satisfied properly, and any new debt that is being assumed by you or that you are taking on is properly depicted in the public record and closed okay. properly. Um, it means further than just title side of it. It mm. means coordinating your closing, acting as settlement, being the hub on all the parties that are involved in your transaction. So generally, as you go and head towards a closing, you're going to have to coordinate documents, signatures, um the, uh, the, the pertinent affidavits, uh, any of the liens or uh, permits that need to be closed out. Uh, there's a number of things that need to happen to ensure that you're receiving the property, clean and clear of any encumbrances or any defects that um, could surprise you down the line. The last thing you want is to buy a investor property or a home and you know have the risk of somebody knocking on your door you know, months after the closing and say that they were an heir to the property or that your driveway is uh, not a shared easement. Um, Any sort of, uh, you know, surprises that would impede your ability to own it um, with, you know, with safety or with uh, a level of uh, assurity is what a title company should do. Um, Now, the title company being a hub in a transaction so if you know, think of this scenario, which my company has, you know, closed more than fifteen thousand uh, real estate transactions. Mm-hmm. So you y- you can imagine that the number of parties that we've had calls to interact with in closing deals um, is pretty deep. And what that means is we know a lot of people that are required to close a deal. We know a lot of attorneys. We know a lot of banks. We know a lot of engineers. We know a lot of anything that you really need to get to a closing. And that really is the impetus of or core of what we do from the perspective of how we brand ourselves and how we drive business here at the cornerstone, which is we can add value to what you're doing. So Sakit, you're a real estate investor. Mm -hmm. If I could help give you recommendations throughout the process of all the things that you're going to need all the parties that you're going to need to engage with in order to close the deal, it offers some level of verification and assurity that these people have done it before and that these are not people that you've just met or just got referred to by someone else. Um, That really is the main attraction, especially to developers here in New York, to our company, because we're very willing to participate early on and we're also able to contribute from an advisory standpoint, as far as who can help them accomplish an environmental phase one environmental report, who can, um, who can help them through access agreements from the legal standpoint, so on and so forth.
1: I love that, right? I think I think what you're saying is the way your company that we've designed the company itself. It's not an afterthought. It's actually a partnership on the team itself, where they're going in. They have you engaged up front so that you can fill the gaps where they have, right? which goes back to the problem solving, instead of people having their, because you may, you may hit a snafu somewhere where you need some contacts that, that can help. And um, uh, I think at that point what you're saying is you already have a rollex of people that you've either worked with or you know who works in that area um, that, that you can put your own uh, name behind. At that point, you can make right. a connection and that would simplify because- if anyone has never been part of a trans, if people have bought home purchases and they understand how painful that is, multiply that by 100 for a transaction that's commercial, and that's multi-multi million dollars, hundreds of million dollars sometimes on stake, and a lot of money could could basically turn uh, turns hard uh, very quickly. Which essentially means if the yeah. deal doesn't close, you lose three, four, five. Uh, I mean, I've, I've friends have lost ten million dollars. Um, in these transactions, right? So they're very, very expensive. Not that the home purchase is not home purchase is equally taxing, if if not more, especially emotionally. But there's a huge financial repercussions if an if an investment deal doesn't close, depending upon how it's it structured.
0: Yeah, and you're and you're highlighting items that you can tie an actual economic value to. Um, one thing you cannot. Uh, you know the saying is that uh, you know time is the most priceless um, asset that we have, and you know as you can imagine, if there are things that we can tell you as a title company from the original research that we can provide, if it saves you six months of time of kind of wasting your time and kicking the tires unnecessarily on the deal, then you know th- th- there's nothing more valuable than that. Um, but but either way, that 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 speaks to the you know a student investor, and that speaks to the you know uh, investor that has a really big. Uh, I love
1: offer. that. So Doreen, you said something also in the beginning that one of the core values of cornerstone title is that you try to figure out how to close a deal, right? So in um, and we'll go back to when I didn't know anything about title insurance because that's what, a title company in general. Because I'm assuming a lot of the listeners may be in that phase, right? So, one of the thought could be, um, and again, I don't mean any disrespect, I'm just oversimplifying it. Uh, One of the things, how hard can title be, right? Uh, Because self search of public records and do one, do two, do three, especially for folks who have never done it like me. That's the assumption that I have, okay, it's all public record search. How hard can that be? Of course, whenever somebody asks a question, how hard can it be? The first question should be, have you ever done it? Chances are No. That's what I'm asking an expert. How hard is it? What's the step involved? What are the complications you can get into? And give us a, maybe an example of um, of a bad deal that if that and, and either you saved or you were part of or you heard of it, whatever it may be, so that people can actually understand that it's not that straightforward. Nothing is that straightforward.
0: No lie, there are instances in which you can be very crystal clear as far as what the picture looks like and what the potential solutions can be or or curative measures can be. The analogy I always used and I used in in our prior conversation as well is, you know, title insurance is unique in the sense that it's completely different from all other types of insurance. Mm -hmm. And it is mainly different in the sense that title insurance is really assurance of the past. Right. So it ensures the past. And what that means is yes, you're right. We do a search of public records. You know, in some cases there's many different sources. We put it all together on one kind of, you know, visually and metaphorically again on a on a table. And the analogy I always give is think of a puzzle. think of it a think of it a thousand piece puzzle and you have nine hundred pieces. Yeah. So we have nine ninety percent of the puzzle in front in of us. So we have an idea of what it should look like and we have an idea of how to complete it. You won't ever get all the pieces for reasons such as county records go back pre-1900. There was mistakes with recordings. People didn't do what they were supposed to do in prior closings. Point is that with 90% of the picture, our job is still to fill in the other 10%. And that's where the curative measures come. This is where the problem solving comes, Mm -hmm. right? And this is where our attorneys really work with other attorneys as far as, all right, well, there's a gap between ownership here. There's a gap between the mortgages here. You know, these are the things that we can do. Um, now, the difference is with other insurances that all other insurances, insuring you know some future event that you're trying to avoid. The most common car insurance, you're actively trying not to get into a car accident, but you have insurance right. just in case. <laughs> Title insurance is unique in the sense where you're paying a company such as mine to bring that picture up to solve the puzzle, right? With however many pieces we can get, and then we give insurance to our ability to complete the picture. Now, you had said it's, you know, some people view it as a very simple um, item, and I admit it that there are situations in which it is simple, but every scenario is completely different. And every purchase is completely different. And if the world was made such that all real estate uh, had clean records, of course, we wouldn't have a purpose. But that this isn't the case. Here in New York, there's millions of properties. And you're going to find that every case is unique. So I gave you the scenario in which everything is known. 900 pieces, 90% of of, of the picture. There are scenarios where we know even less than that. We may have fifty percent or half the puzzle, right? And now you can imagine it's harder to kind of get a clear picture of what it could be. So we have to do our best to have the vision to figure out how to complete the picture. Right. Right. Complete the puzzle. And then have a level of assurance and you know security that we're providing the end user by giving them an actual insurance policy to the effect that if anything's wrong here. We'll, we're going to cover
1: you. So how, how does that work? I'm sorry to interrupt you. But that's an, that I could never understand. that, Right. So, um, and the reason for that I could understand is that and maybe I've never been denied of a title insurance. Maybe that's where the assumption is coming from. Maybe there, there are parties that get denied title insurance because you can't get to 90%, whatever your threshold is, 90%, 70%, 80%. Maybe you only have 20% of the picture. Then 80% is a big risk. And maybe you, maybe you won't give me the insurance at that point. I've just never encountered the situation or know anybody who has. So it could be coming from that limited understanding. Right. So, um, how can somebody give an insurance on a product that they already know they don't know enough about? Right. Uh, so, you, you know, at least with a, for me, probability of dying at a certain age or for my car to get into an accident, statist- you can have a statistic model. That can say in the future the predict the probability of you hitting something or getting getting into a car wreck is X percent, and now you can make uh, a judgment call that out of hundreds of thousands of insurances that you do, not everyone's going to get a claim. I mean that's how the insurance business works, right? So not everything is going to go wrong. Some may go wrong, and then you play with that. Is that the same model that title insurance also takes, Torian? That uh, because you're looking back, the chances of you hitting a rock are much higher than going forward, right? Because going forward, nobody knows.
0: You're right. And you know to be denied title insurance is very uncommon, mainly because if you're denied title insurance and especially if a lender is involved, you're not gonna be able to close on the property. Correct. right? So in some way, shape or form, we're always trying to find a solution. Now, what you may or may not realize is that the policies that you're getting though, can have certain exceptions on it that Mm -hmm. in essence do not cover you. So there can be situations where in order to get a deal closed, and this is working with your attorneys now, that there's some level of risk that they're willing to assume, or there's Mm -hmm. some level of risk that you can explain away. So here's an example of one in New York where uh, there can be railroad tracks that run across the property that, have not been active for a hundred years. These train tracks that were built in the late 1800s that were last used in 1920, and here we are in 2023 with a commercial property that has these train tracks running through it. Now, it's going to be an incomplete picture because let's just say that the public authority that had control of said tracks didn't file any closure of the easement mm-hmm. or you know, there isn't anybody to reach out to that is even aware of these 1920 train tracks that are running through your right. property. So, so in this instance, depending on how good your title company is, we can have and provide insurance based off of logic with the coverage. But there are other companies that may not be able to offer you that level of service or in depth kind of analysis. And that coverage would actually be accepted in your policy. What that means is there will be a side area of your policy that will list the things that you're not covered for. So it could potentially list that as something you're not covered for in the event that somebody comes back to you and said, got it. by the way, these are my train tracks. You're on my train tracks. We got to figure something out. Um, so depending on who you work with, depending on who you work through, it is important to make sure that Somebody is explaining to you what's accepted and what's not in your policy, but no matter that you know I'll go as far as to even say ninety-eight percent of the cases where um, they will find a way to give you your policy to close the deal. So I'm, I'm assuming that what and and maybe I'm again I'm a
1: man of oversimplification, so I'll oversimplify it in what I heard. You tell me if I heard it correctly or not. I think what you're saying is just because you have the title insurance doesn't mean you have it. You have it with an exception, right? You have a piece of paper to close it. Your career right. In, in that regard, you have the title insurance, but you really have to understand. it. And I can guarantee you, because I've never done it, um, eighty to ninety percent of the people have never even looked at their title insurance policy, right? Because they they really no? think they really think that it's a policy once you have it, and any issues with the title will be covered. And what you're you're opening my eyes to it, and I'm assuming it's going to be for most of my listeners as well, is the title insurance doesn't guarantee any issues in the title. Some may, but you really have to figure out what the exceptions are. And you have to take that calculated risk on your end as a purchaser, that are those exceptions worth pursuing forward. And they may, they may not, depending on what the risk is. You have to ask yourself because everything is a a game of probability, even for you and even for the insurance provider that it's a game of probability, how likely is the probability of a certain event happening? And do you want to take that chance or no? Is, is that Did, did I miss right. anything there, Doreen?
0: No. I mean, look, when, when an individual buyer buys a home, and it's something you briefly talked about, most people will buy that much property, right? If you're lucky and fortunate, you buy you know maybe three properties in your life, yeah. right? I mean, and because it's not something that you know happens with some level of frequency, there isn't uh, familiarity with all the people that are involved in the transaction. So, right. I, I I won't lie either. I don't. I won't use this opportunity to kind of say, hey, you know, you should read every line in your title policy. Uh, because how many people read every line in their homeowners insurance? How many yeah. people read every line in um, the internet website that they're going to that they're clicking oh, on, right. just agreeing to? Um, well, What's important to know is that, and obviously, you know, the example of a website is, is it's not apples to apples, but when you're buying a piece of real estate for a significant amount of cash or equity uh, or a significant amount of money, you should make sure that whoever's on your advisor team um, is walking you through um, everything that you're taking a risk on, and that includes title insurance. And, you know, that's why it's also important to know who your title provider is so that you have the opportunity to call them at any time and say, is there anything I should be worried about? Am I covered about, you know, with everything? Cause ultimately when you buy insurance, again, going back to homeowners, you just want to make sure you're covered, and you want to just make sure that if something happens, that uh, someone will be there for you and that you won't be in a situation where I, I would use it as an opportunity. If you were to call me and say, somebody just knocked on my door and said, they're an heir to the property. You know, I need you to defend it. Uh, I won't be the type that will hold up the policy and say, "Oh, by the way, there's nothing we can do because you're not covered." Right, right. That's that's not that's not what we're in, in this for. We're we're in this to for the long run and not uh, so much to you know uh, make a quick buck. Got it. Have you, in your experience as a
1: title provider, have you ever had a chance? Have you ever had the up, op- not the chance? I should say chances chance chances are good. It's a it's a positive thing. Have you ever had to defend a title?
0: Yeah, we have. Um, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where you hope you don't have to, but it's an inevitable aspect of what we do. Uh, again, we we close over fifteen thousand, no, twelve thousand, fifteen thousand deals over a thousand deals a year. Um, and um, it, you know, just from the numbers aspect of it, you could, you're going to have to have uh, situations in which you defend. Um, so yeah, there, there's there's big cases. Um, you know, one of the things that we touched on in our previous conversation about what makes a good title company a good one and what makes a title company a bad one is the amount of um, claims that they've had uh, or the amount of claims that they're defending. Um, yeah. So typically, uh, in in the title insurance world, the you know the the average claim rate is about five percent, and you know we we work to be below that, and we have been through the life of uh, of our company,
1: and these Zurian, let's just make sure that because um, there's always two ways to look at the title of the company. Just because a lot of, for a lot of folks afterthought, um, it's really let me find the cheapest provider, right? Uh, but you're giving actually a very different metric, which is more, which is way more important, I believe, than just the money, because spending a few hundred, few thousand extra bucks to save your uh, pretty expensive uh, purchase of the property, it's going to save you a lot of headache in the future. What does that matter? You said five percent. Five percent of properties uh, that are contested are the five percent that you lose, or five percent that you win. What, what's the What's the five percent there? Add, uh, give me some more context on the
0: five. percent of transactions insured. So, yeah, you could think of it as five percent of transactions, and and the title element, um, whether or not they would need a defense and 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 it happens, right? Um, yeah. especially in complex situation where. Uh, on commercial deals where you know there's a lot of parties involved uh through renovations there's a lot of uh risk or uh there's a lot of exposure to liens being filed against yourself judgments being filed against yourself so on and so forth so the more uh like you had mentioned commercial deals are more co- complex um but generally claims are um associated with you know Things that weren't picked up, or or things that were, uh, yeah. where a bus- business decision was made that was the incorrect decision. Now, in terms of cost, and you're right, um, you you shouldn't be out there looking for the the cheapest calls. Number one, title insurance is a regulated industry, so for the most part, uh, I'm you know the majority of the states have what they call stated rates, which means that yeah. everybody charges the same. So. You know, being a commodity is there's pros and cons to it. The con obviously is that we can't compete on price, but the pro is that, you know, if you're gonna pay the same price, you might as well go with the better time. That's Optimum right. value. Um, yeah. It's it's you know it's if you're offered the you know, three shirts and they're all the same price and one's L V and the other one is, you know, no no disrespect to Hanes, but Haynes, you, you're obviously gonna go with the with the higher brand. Right. Yeah. Um so it shouldn't, it's not always just price sensitivity. And the other thing to mention about price is that it's a, it's a one-time fee, okay. right? All, right? All other insurance is a- annual. You're paying it every year. Yeah. Um, title insurance generally is not more than 30 bits of the transaction, and mm-hmm. you're paying it one time. So if you own that property for 10 years, 20 years, it's that one time that you paid for it, you're covered for as long as you own it. Perfect. So Duneen,
1: you also said to close a transaction... Uh, your lender will require it, right? So, um, what happens if it's an all cash deal? Do You still recommend getting it? I'm assuming the answer is yes. Uh, doesn't matter. Absolutely. What it is. If you're buying it, because you're at the risk, the lender is asking you to do it because lenders don't want to get to an issue where there is no there's no claim if somebody no no resolution if somebody were to come after it. So, help me understand for right. these all cash deals that we come that we pro- have seen. And who knows, depending on what the future of the real estate is, we may see in the upcoming future here.
0: Yeah. In my experience, of all the all cash deals, of it, in my experience, the only time that people have selected not to get, you know purchase title insurance is in all cash deals that they're representing themselves. Um, most attorneys will not allow you to buy property without title insurance just simply because they don't want to have to deal with a situation in which something comes up yeah. and you know we have dealt with individuals who say i'm just going to buy this all cash i'm going to take the risk and by all means they could take the risk but i will go as far as to say that it, it, it's very uncommon where somebody actually goes forth and buys something without title deeds. That- and and the main the main reason why is because at some point in time especially for the investor you're going to want to liquidate or exit or um, find some way to cash out on your investments. And at that point in time, when you engage in every lender, it doesn't matter who which lender you go to, whether they're private or public or, or bank, mm-hmm. they're going to require title insurance. And um, you're either going to pay the bill now or later. You can delay it, but then you're exposing yourself to risk and delaying it. So the majority... 99% of transactions that uh, that I am exposed to have title insurance. The conversation of whether I need it always not always it comes up. It comes up especially on all cash deals, but most of the attorneys that are here and most of the attorneys that we've worked with will advise against that. And generally they won't take the case if 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 the purchaser decides that they're going to buy it without title insurance. So that makes sense. Yeah, you know, we we've seen this where you know, somebody buys a piece of property. Um, they assume that it's free and clear because of what was provided to them with documentation. But then mm-hmm. later on, they find that there were, you know, water bills that weren't paid, property taxes that weren't paid, a HELOC that wasn't properly closed that they're now on the hook for. Yeah, and there's nobody as as recourse to go back to. They're going to go back to their um, attorney and 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 you know have a conversation with them. So, Dorian,
1: help me understand one thing. So, let's say I have a title insurance. I don't have a title insurance um, because of whatever I decided to. And, um, and my situation allowed me to do that. Now, 10 years down the road, I am working with you as a title company for the new buyer. And um, you say there's an issue in the title. Tell me, tell me a situation. If I actually don't have the title, what will happen? title insurance versus if I had the title because at this point there's no claim however you as an as a title company for the new uh, buyer you need to make sure you check on the title and there may be some risk that you say that uh, we won't close the deal unless you show us the previous insurance now does that insurance get transferred to the new buyer at that point or can they enforce that tra- enforce saying that hey, I see some issues in socket's uh, property and if you if I had the title insurance, I could present that to the new buyer and say that mm-hmm. you can we can have a claim against it we can make sure we can defend the title uh, because I have the insurance or it's only in the case when somebody comes in out of the woodwork and say that uh, I ha- I'm the rightful owner of, or owner of this property because of X y Z reasons uh, you can't you can't be here so which cases can you can you use the title insurance for does the question make sense or I've confused you
0: uh, I'm a, no, no, I'm going to try to connect it um, in terms of what I think you're asking. Um, number one, title is not transferable. So when that new buyer is purchasing your property, they are hiring a title company. And the title company is starting from, from the beginning as far as um, doing the research on the property just to you know double check, triple check. Now, if you have a title insurance policy, you can provide that. We can fill in some of the gaps. Um, prior to the point at which uh, the new owner uh, invoked the search or you know, to fill in the gap between before you owned it. Now, if you don't have title insurance and you decided to move forward without any title insurance, mm-hmm. um, you could be on the hook for a lot of things that the prior owner was responsible for. So number one, the most common, at least for residential transactions, is an open permit. Um, an open permit to do anything on your property that wasn't closed properly. And in order to close it, you have to incur all the charges that are required to getting proper permits, getting it inspected, getting it properly closed, filing the appropriate paperwork. So that's in the, we'll say, nominal uh, aspect of it. In the more severe case, it could be where we discover that the actual transfer of ownership wasn't done properly between... Mm -hmm. Um, the prior owner and you or even before um, so here's an example this this always comes up in um, in in, inher- in inheritance cases where uh, you know a group of uh, relatives are to inherit a piece of property and in the inheritance it gets transferred to a trust and now you're buying it out of a trust per se so sure. if all the paperwork wasn't done properly between all the heirs, it could be an issue because now you can have somebody that claims the right to your property. So although this is two transactions back because now you're selling the property to me, the new title company can deem that there's a break in title and that there's a risk that is so large, especially if there's a bank involved that you have to now go back to the prior owner to get them to properly uh transfer the property to the trust or get the sign off from the heir that was not made aware Got of it's... the actual transfer. And that can, as you can imagine, create a whole scenario or a can of worms, right? It, it gives them, you know, potentially an opportunity to get a payout. Um and... they can throw a wrench in your deal because now the new buyer can say, you don't really own this property, so I, I'm not going to buy it from you. So Again, probability, risk—that all comes into play in terms of yeah. when you make a decision to to not go forward with with title insurance. Awesome. Well, love that, Dorian. I, I've learned, and I, it's
1: kind of funny—we recorded a sh- show before, but I already have made like three, three more pages of notes. Um, so, no matter how much I talk to you, I will learn more and more and more. I want to be respectful for your time here. One question, Dorian, in the example that you just provided, if I as a previous owner had the title insurance, does you does it help you at all as a, as a new title company or none at all? Because let's say if there was it helps. a... It helps. Okay.
0: It helps. So, so the same analogy, puzzles a thousand pieces. I do my research. I only find 700, yeah. but your policy can provide 200 and now it. it fills the picture in more, right? It. So it, it helps. It doesn't help you. You can't go...
1: Asked to for me to defend it because you're no longer the, you, you're representing the new buyer. Um, so I All can't right. just, I can't go the claim. Um, so I understand that. It's really non-transferable, but it can help you connect the dots. If if the previous...
0: It can help the this. new owner, it can help the new owner um, get their title policy. Awesome. Ryan. this has been great, man. We're going to switch gears. We are
1: coming towards the end of our show here. We always end with two questions, right? So of course, you're an exciting career, multiple different things you've done in life. And I'm glad you're doing what you're doing right now, because that's a very, very important piece to uh, to help people with and solve the problem, because that could be the last thing that they that can throw the entire deal off. So appreciate you doing that. Now, tell me one thing, if you were to go back in your life, when you were 20 years old, uh, we won't give your age away. Um, what would that what would that one insight be that would have dramatically altered the trajectory? And d- I don't mean to say that anything in your life should have changed, but the question is coming from the perspective somebody who is in their twenties, they're listening to it.
0: Can what insight
1: can they benefit from?
0: That that's a nice back to the future question. And Very much. That's yeah. probably that, that. That in itself is a dated reference, so I, I may have <laughs> given my my age away from that. But what would I tell my prior self if I can go back, you know, twenty five years? And I think I think the first thing that comes to my mind is take care of yourself, and I mean that from a health standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, the name of your show is "Migrate to Wealth," and I feel like as I you know go through life, the, the older I get. The the more health you know be, it is wealth, uh, because um, it, it if you can't enjoy the fruits of your labor, you know it. You know what are you doing it for? Sure. Um, yeah. So health health is a huge component of of my life now, and health can be broken down in a lot of different ways outside of what most people think of it as. Most people think of it as just physical health, but there's mental health, there's emotional health, there physical health there's intellectual health there's you know health can be broken down in many different sectors so Mm -hmm. i would go back and tell my former self you know take care of yourself and make health and wellness part of your every day um don't wait till you're 40 um and the other part that that i think of uh, as an answer to when you are asking the question is is being aware you know awareness awareness of 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 what's uh, of your surroundings awareness of of people's feelings awareness of yourself just be aware um, and that sounds somewhat non-descriptive but i find that the more aware you are of your deficiencies your strengths your staff their emotions your problems the tools that you have to solve them uh, and the better you will be at, at solving any of that
1: yeah, and I think I think being awareness is actually going to go back to your first insight that if you're aware of your current situation, current health, and be aware of your current lifestyle, what it'll do to you twenty, thirty, forty years down the road. Uh, having that awareness is probably going to it's probably going to help bring the health and wellness to the top of your priority list. That uh, I mean, partying is good, um, interaction drinking is fine, but what is it doing to you? I'm never saying anything to be saying now something is good or bad because who am I to pass the judgment? I think everyone should look at theirs. Whatever you're doing today, what is, which path is it leading you to in the next 20, 30 years? And if you don't have a reference point, look at somebody else. What happened? How did that affect whatever they were doing? And drinking is just an example. It could be working like crazy. It could be workaholic, right? It could be any of that. Like, how is that doing? So I really love the awareness aspect of it, that that really shifts the, what do they say in quantum physics, that um, when a particle is being observed, it actually changes how it behaves. And that's really what awareness does to us, that when you just the fact that you're aware of it, there's a very high likelihood yep. your response to a stimuli, internal or external, is going to alter without you putting a lot of effort into it. Well, but you have to develop the techniques and the, and the mental aptitude to observe without judgment. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm sorry if I added, I, I'm hoping that resonated with you because I know I added a little bit of my own oh, did. to your insight. So I appreciate that. So Dorian, one last question, buddy. Um, where do you think, um, it seems like you're a reflective person, where do you think humanity as a whole should migrate towards in the next few decades?
0: Whoa! Uh, this obviously the answer here is working together, right? But but the to, to pure layer off of what I mean by that is um, be empathetic. Uh, don't don't look view everything uh, from just your lens. Uh, take some time to understand why someone may have an opposing view or may have it, a view that uh, that you're critical of. So put yourself in others' shoes. Be empathetic. Don't judge, accept, right? Accept that the things and people are the way they are. And and find a way to to you know compromise and find a way to, to, to work and live together. Dorian, this has been great, man. Thank you again for um, for sharing your key insights,
1: sharing your time with us. Really appreciate that. Dorian, one last thing, man. Is there anything that we didn't touch in our um, almost an hour conversation that you wish the listeners would have, would appreciate uh, knowing by you. Hey, Dorian, can you hear me?
0: Uh, I'm getting up. Uh...
1: Hey, Dorian. Dorian, can you hear me? Hey, Dorian. Dorian,
0: Hey man. So I get apologies. My my phone literally blew up. Uh, oh, no problem. With my next, next meeting, what was your last question? I said I need two minutes. Yeah, so let's, um, let's let's rephrase the question.
1: Uh, Dorian, thank you again for sharing your life's work, your life's insight, and uh, with our listeners here. One last parting question: Is there anything about you that we didn't cover in the context of this podcast that would be helpful for uh, the listeners to listen to hear about?
0: Yeah, well, one of the things that we didn't really dive too far into is my ability and the exposure to real estate investment. Uh, one of the things that I've more actively participated in over the past five years is investing into real estate, developing real estate, learning more about real estate, understanding how to make that uh, a component of not just the compilation of my life's experiences, but Uh, creating an opportunity for wealth there, creating passive income streams, uh, Thinking from that lens. So, you know, the audience should know that that is actually the reason why you and I connected. And, and, you know, obviously we can go off on tangents, sometimes good tangents, uh, when we discuss and and, and get together. But uh, where I can really impact those of your listeners is that uh, we can contribute to... uh, Helping with understanding how to get into real estate investment, how to you know find deals, what things to think about uh, from that perspective. Awesome. Well, Dorian, we'll uh, make
1: sure that there's a way for us to connect with you. What's the best way so that we can add that to our show descriptions?
0: Where can people find you? The best way to reach me is uh, the company that I you know we've been talking about is Cornerstone Land Abstract, so CornerstoneLandAbstract.com. I have a website on my own for my personal real estate investment called Defender of the Deal. So it's Defender defenderofthedeal.com. That. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, you can find me on on social and on uh, on social like uh, Instagram and, and LinkedIn, just Dorian Lamp.
1: Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, Dorian, thank you again for taking the time, buddy. I really appreciate it. And thank you all for the listeners to staying. If you're listening to this part, that means you stayed to the end I appreciate your time, appreciate your, um, your, your, your support in making the podcast of what it is. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll see you in the next episode. My great to-end listeners, if you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangor Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801 801- 312 or you may visit his website at 1031.bangurterfinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes.
0: If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below.
1: The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions.
0: Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.